Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening, and I'm joined by my very good friends this, uh, this evening, who, will, who I'll get to introduce in just a little while. Tonight's live broadcast is going to be special or unique, and by special, I don't mean it necessarily in a good way, not in a bad way either. It's just different because, as you all know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So that makes it kind of unique. Why are we still doing this? Uh, and maybe we get to answer that later, right, guys? But this is unprecedented. Uh, Jacob and Lenny, uh, you guys know, I mentioned this a while ago, we're not medical experts. We're not epidemiologists. Say, say that fast like 10 times, epidemiologists. We're not that. So the show is not going to be about giving anyone a status update or a briefing on the coronavirus. That's not the uh, point of this show this evening. And there's a lot of that already going on. In fact, maybe a lot of us are already sort of feeling fatigued by all of that on social media, the daily briefings from the feds, the local and state authorities. It's just a lot. And... Um, it could be a cause for anxiety for some of us. No, this show is going to be about answering this question. How should a Christian behave during a pandemic? All right. And as you guys know, I, I mentioned that this time reminds me of 1942 when C.S. Lewis encouraged his students at Oxford to continue uh, in their activities, specifically in their studies, while the bombs were falling on London, and blitzkrieg going on, and uh, as Lenny pointed out, France fell already. I mean, it was a dire and desperate time, and yet C.S. Lewis uh, offered some some comfort. That's not to say that Scripture doesn't. Um, that's that's uh, an obvious thing, and and we need to turn to the Lord in times of these things. But uh, this evening, we found uh, some of the heroes of the faith particularly helpful, so we want to highlight them. So C.S. Lewis is, is something that we will return to. Um, uh, Martin Luther is another person, and uh, Lenny will talk more about that. We're also going to talk about uh, how this pandemic is affecting us and how it will affect uh, people of faith even when this is over. And... Uh, Jacob's going to be handling a lot of that. Um, so like I said, Lewis is helpful, and I am looking at um, this book by C.S. Lewis. The title is The Weight of Glory, which I would highly recommend. It's less than $10 on uh, Amazon.com right now. And I wanted to highlight a couple things. You know, he, he sensed the uh, kind of like this, the, the feeling back then when... Uh, all of this trouble was happening, all of this crisis, all of the hopelessness and despair. And, um, you know, some of his students would say, what's the point in all of this? We won't be able to finish this anyways. Um, so there's a lot of hopelessness. And, and he was even anticipating sort of the, um, the angst between maybe two groups where he would say, maybe uh, to quote him, he would say, how can you be so frivolous and selfish as to think about anything but the salvation of human souls? 
And then maybe one camp might say, well, how can you be so frivolous and selfish as to think of anything but the war? And in some ways, I feel that that's totally applicable today. There's a parallel. So maybe uh, putting that in our context, we might say, how can you be, like Lenny, how can you be so frivolous and selfish as, as to think about anything but the coronavirus and its effects? And then maybe, Jacob, you might say to Lenny, how can you be so frivolous and selfish as to think of anything but the economy, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so, I don't know about you guys, but um, I see that in social media, and it's becoming more divisive. And yet, I also see a lot of hopefulness. Um, so we want to talk about those kinds of things. So uh, again, if you guys want to join us, you're listening we are live right now. If you want to join our conversation, give us a call at 888-995-5552. Again, that's 888-995-5552. And we are talking about this topic, how should a Christian behave during a pandemic? All right, so I'm going to turn it over to my experts. I, I love these dear brothers. Um, they do it out of the... Uh, out of, their own resources to be here. Um, and uh, thanks, guys, for coming. So, again, you guys know Lenny Esposito. Uh, and then to my right is Jacob Daniel. So, Lenny, let's start with you. But before you actually answer that question, tell us what's going on with your ministry. Well, a lot's going on, obviously. Um, we had uh, several sets of classes that were going to go on. And uh, like a lot of folks at different churches, those had been put on hiatus for right now. So I'm uh, rapidly shifting to a, a more online presence for speaking, which I've always been online, but uh, now we're going to be doing a little bit more streaming events, a lot more video, I think, is going to be coming out uh, in the near future. So that's exciting. And then I'm still pressing on with uh, my professor's project, where we'll be out uh, probably, obviously, not until the fall now be able to reach out to professors at college campuses and things of that nature. So that'll be ex exciting as that's well. A, that's a new one. I ha haven't heard of that one. Yeah, I've been working with, I'm starting to work with Ratio Christie on that, Corey Miller, and we're going to, the idea is you can start a Christian club on campus and then you can reach, you know, 20 or 30 students uh, a semester, which is great, or you can reach the professor and have his classroom for the next 20 years. Oh, wow. And so that's a, an exciting idea of ministry that would make long-term effects. So okay, that's be... that's kind of... And then tell us about the status of your book. I'm so excited about that one. Uh, just, yeah, trying to write away. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, it sounds like now I'll have more time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's learning during wartime, right? As, that's, as... That, that's right, I think. <laughs> I remember you mentioning that you have some deadlines. Uh, yes. So, keeping those deadlines? Yeah, trying. Uh, you know, <laughs> what was the famous uh, quote that... Uh, I think it was at Hemingway who said, I love deadlines. I love the sound of them as they whiz past me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So, but working on it all, working all right. on it all, keeping Very all the good. plates spinning, so Very to speak. Very good. Very good. I love it. Jacob Daniel. Dr. Jacob yeah. Daniel. Doctor. Yes. Uh, not a medical doctor, a more important one. So <laughs> how are you doing, I'm Dr. Doing, Daniel? I'm doing really well. Thank okay. you, Harry. Uh, just... Uh, I just want to mention to our listeners that we're keeping our six feet distance, I guess. Yes, we are. Yes, yes. <laughs> In Let's the studio. Sure. My wife made yeah. sure of that. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, go, going well. Heritage Council, you know, uh, just like Lenny, it just um, some of my speaking engagements and travels have been uh, cancelled for for the moment, and they've been postponed. So, uh, I'm still, yeah, as you mentioned, keeping the presence, you know, mm. uh, online and trying to prepare lectures. I'm I'm still doing some distance uh, lectures for some of the students uh, that I've been reaching out to, and yeah, so keeping busy. Okay, very yeah. good. So uh, catching up on reading as well. You know, I remember you gave me a list of books. That's as well, right. So I expect to you to finish all that reading <laughs> in by next week, Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so got some writing projects as well. So oh, very yeah. good, very good. Even during the pandemic, I love it. Um, all right, guys. Um, how should a Christian behave during a pandemic? Well, this is nothing new for Christianity. And I think that's a key aspect that we have to realize. This may be new for 21st century American evangelicalism, Hmm. but for most of human history across most places in the world, people have always lived with plagues, malaria, leprosy, of course, biblical uh, disease that was common enough to outline a treatment, how to treat the lepers, how to work on if they were supposedly cured of their diseases and things of that nature. So this has always been part of the human condition and not merely pandemics in terms of physical illness. There's always been famines that have struck. There's been natural disasters that have struck. There's just been the fact that you've lived your life and a lot of times you just didn't even have enough calories from the food that you did eat to maintain a, 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 a strong enough presence to work 12 hours a day. All of these things are very, very common. So much so that even by 1820, the average person didn't live past 40. I mean, yeah. and, and we forget how recent that is. We, 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 we have uh, the conceit of affluence, you know, in our society today. And I think that's, that's a problem. So Christians have always not merely had to deal with this, but they've always had a philosophy of understanding that our neighbor is more important than ourselves. Mm. And we don't run away from the suffering of others. We run towards the suffering of others in order to show the love of Christ to them. Yeah. Now, and yeah. there's not not a time when we cease to be Christians. I That's mean, right. This is exactly when we have to behave as Christians, uh, as in exile. We are always in exile, something that we need to keep in mind. But at the same time, we need to also understand that when we are called to be in exile, we call to work towards uh, the flourishing uh, of the city in which we live, right? Among the people um, whom we live uh, with. And I like what C.S. Lewis says in light of um, the atomic... Uh, uh, you know, threats that's been there uh, right after World War II. And like what he says, if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Yes. Right? And I think we need to uh, take heed of that and continue to do what we are called to do. It's not that we... uh, We do it more fervently in light of what we are facing right now, you know, and let the world know that we are doing it so that when the Lord hears and answers, they may know that as well. Now, you gave a C.S. Lewis quote. Where might somebody find that if they wanted to read a book by C.S. Lewis? Yes, on living in an atomic age. Uh, uh, so you can find that quote there, and it's, it's, it's a book worth reading. And yeah. Okay. 
Uh, since we're on the C.S. Lewis thing, uh, I wanted to chime in with a quote. Uh, this is, again, uh, the chapter on learning during wartime in The Weight of Glory. And uh, to your point, Lenny, um, life has always been uh, not normal, so to speak. And in fact, uh, he says right here, and I quote him, we are mistaken when we compare war with normal life or just replace war with this pandemic. Uh, life has never been normal. Even those periods which we think most tranquil, like the 19th century, turn out on closer inspection to be full of crises, alarms, difficulties, and emergencies. Hmm. So, let me also mention uh, the name. Uh, basically, these are the journalistic essays that. So, the title of the essay is "On Living in an Atomic Age, 1948." Hmm. Yeah. Good you stuff. know. Uh, and we have records of even early Christians in the first centuries of the church dealing with these issues. Matter of fact, there were uh, three, well, four major plagues that we have through history that Christians have become significant in. The first one was the Antonin Plague. This happened about A.D. 165 to A.D. 80, and this was a huge thing. Um, the first major plague, they, they believe it was the first time smallpox was brought in from the east to Rome. Decimate, I mean, it, they anticipate or they've postulated that about one-third of, of, of the population yeah. died mm. because of the Antonin Plague, including the emperor. And it knocked Roman's army out. A uh, hundred years later, the plague of Cyprian hit, and Cyprian was the, the bishop and uh, he, was, he gave a very stirring series of sermons talking about going out. And Now, you have to understand what the reaction of Romans were at those days was. If there was a plague that hit your town, you left town if you had the means and the money. So if you have your uncle sick at bed, it doesn't matter. You leave the house. You go to your summer villa or you go stay with relatives someplace else and you let the sick fend for themselves. Hmm. The priests would leave and left the sick. The Christians would come into town. They would walk in and they would rescue these people yeah. and they would, they would nurse them back to health or they would catch the disease themselves, of course, yeah. because it's a communicable disease. But this became so prominent that it, A, attracted a lot of people to Christianity, because why am I worshiping at this temple when the priests are, you know, abandoning me? Uh, and these Christians seem to have answers that the others did. Beside that, of course, the Christian colonies would rebound much easier, and there would be late, fewer Christians who would die from the disease because they were nursing one another. Mm -hmm. But it became so evident that when Julian the Apostate became emperor of Rome and tried to turn Rome back to paganism, he literally wrote and railed, the Galilean people are helping others. Why aren't we helping others ourselves? And, and Larry and we, uh, Lenny, we were talking about this a while ago. The world can be divided into these two sets of mindset. That's right. Right? One that runs towards uh, how, how I can go and help my neighbor. That's and right. And the other is how I can isolate myself. That's and right. And just take care of myself. That's right. right. Because, because the ancient world outside yeah. of Christianity would never think to put another person ahead of themselves. They would never think that is a Christian concept, and it, and it was proven by the, even the emperor who was trying to revert Rome out of a Christian status, saying, 
we got to do something because they're winning the popularity content. You know, they're they're winning the all of the uh, publicity points. In light of the current crisis that we are facing, you know, just uh, it's interesting to actually hear from the president saying that we need to send ventilators to Italy, to the UK and other European nations mm. and other nations and help them while we need ventilators here. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why the president is taking charge that, you know, we have a responsibility even towards other nations yeah. and save lives there. I'm not hearing that from anywhere else. And we should be asking, why is it that the West wants to still take care of the rest of the world, right? Um, uh, so those mindsets, mindsets are important. Yes. And I think uh, a certain kind of worldview offers that. Absolutely. And I think Christian worldview offers uh, the flourishing of all people, so regardless you, you of who are, and where they are. Yeah, so you guys are thinking that maybe this might be a unique opportunity where the church could really flourish if the Absolutely. church does the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and if if you, speaking of worldview, if you understand your your fundamental gospel, you understand that if you die in seek and even serving a non-believer, if you die and catch communicable disease because you saw the image of God in that individual, and see, that's not the tragedy. In a letter, Luther's town was uh, just hit with bubonic plague, and one of the things that he said was, there is, don't mourn for the people who died. That's not where the problem is, because they have eternal glory. It's that mindset. It's the idea that there is a better world. We are still sojourners here, as you said. We are, we are not to hold the world closely. I I had uh, created another video. I said, the problem with a lot of folks that I see, and even folks in the church, is they want to hold things close. They want to be comfortable like they were before this all started. Hmm. But the comforts of this world are not to be desired. You should seek the comfort of the Father's arms, and that only happens in the next life. And as long as you're pleasing to Him by seeking to love your neighbor as yourself, then there are issues, there are things that are bigger than safety in life. There are sometimes ideas are worth dying for. Uh, and uh, given our circumstances today, one of the ways to love your neighbor would be not to expose them and yourself to uh, a place, a situation where you would right. harm them in any way. At the same time, being involved in finding a solution to this epidemic. Right. right? Christians have to be in the forefront taking care of our neighbors, our brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. I think we need to be creative. Like, for instance... What I thought, and I share this with you guys, I feel like the messaging that's going out there is mostly from the government. And, and so now we are attributing authority to them. And I'm wondering, where are the Christians? I'd, lo- I'd love to see more messages, messaging, uh, I don't know, on TV, on Facebook, social media. But um, like, for instance, um, here, here's one thing that I wish the church had done. Like, I wish, you know, when there are reports of companies repurposing and retooling their hmm. processes, their business, in order to, let's say, produce more ventilators or produce more masks, um, and they were doing that, uh, kind of like during World War II. Right. Uh, a, a lot of, like, GE started making, you know, instead of refrigerators, they started making airplanes, right? Those kinds of things. Um, so I, I wish the church was one of the first institutions that said, you know, hey, since we're no longer meeting uh, physically, why don't you take over our worship centers and uh, make that uh, space for extra beds or something like that? That would have been kind of nice, you know. Um, but 
anyway. And it's still and it's still possible, I think. Yeah. That, sure. That yeah. So maybe but, that's a hint to some mega churches out there. <laughs> but the, you you bring up a a, a bit, another point as well is in this whole response, we look at it primarily from a physical aspect, but there is a spiritual. We are we are body and soul. We are beings that are both, and we ignore the spiritual needs of the human person in order to simply try to find out how the government or whomever is modern science, you know, pick your, your choice, who's going to save the physical. And um, that's, I think that's a false dichotomy. And I think we do ourselves and our neighbors a disservice by not having the church be more prominent in talking about the, other, the the spiritual aspect. And I'm not simply talking about preaching one's faith. I'm talking about there is a spiritual element to being together in community. Hmm. Oh, I understand social distancing, and, and it's important. And I understand doing, saying, service, Sunday service by video. I, don't, I, I agree with you, Jacob. I think we can't be foolhardy. Luther makes that point as well. He says, not only do you do you want to run to God? But you don't want to abandon. God gave you a mind. He mm-hmm. gave you reason. And if there's medicine, take it. Right. If you're sick, don't get near somebody else. Don't yeah. you know? Yeah. There's there's practical steps that you can take. And social distancing is one of those things that we understand now, so we don't overwhelm our community. Because I may recover, but my 80 year old you know, neighbor may not. Yeah. And, and he, he may not even be sick. He may just have had a stroke, but his having a stroke, there's still not enough room in the emergency rooms. So, so there's a balance there. But why aren't we talking about the void that we have in the social dis- I mean, there is something that you truly lose by not being in community. Exactly. Ask anybody mm-hmm. who's had a loved one deployed to Iraq. Yeah, they Skype every week. But that has that is nowhere near compared to the idea of him just being in the chair beside you to watch a movie, right? There's something about yeah. that. I, I, I think I, you're, you're right, yeah. Lenny. I think we should also be asking this, like if given, like I've been here in the West for about eight years now, and one of the things that has really sometimes bothered me in the church or church setting, because I travel quite a bit, is uh, uh, maybe we had some sort of social distance even while we were present mm-hmm. in bodies within the church, right? Uh, in moments like this, we really know who our near and dear ones are. People really involved. That's what community is so important, as you said, right? Yeah. So we should also be checking that. And I think there's a need for us when we come out of this that we understand the need of church as a body yes. and to the reason to be involved in each other's life. and Because we're now kind of feeling a vacuum, as you said, Absolutely. right? Spiritual as well as physical, in some sense, of not having that community of people around us, right? Friends who call us to be their own, right? And yes. be willing to actually be available at any circumstances for anything, right? So you guys are thinking that, yeah, let's thank the Lord for technology where we could be flexible, but at the same time realize that that is actually not true fellowship because you need the body and the soul together. Yes. Yeah. I think we should be, because I, as I mentioned, the reason why I'm saying that they might have been, a lot of people who are finding it to, to be too comfortable to be sitting at home and worshiping online, maybe that's exactly what was going on in the church while they were in the church. Only right. thing was that their bodies were there, yeah. right? but they, they were experiencing the same kind of thing while sitting there 
uh, on their seats. Or a lot of people saying, oh, well, we don't have to physically go to the building today. Yeah. We could just we could just watch it online today. It's, oh, you, you know, I, I almost say God saying, you want that? Okay, I'm going to give it to you in space. It's like, remember when the, the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they cried out for meat? And what did God say? I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat so it's running out your nose, so it's coming out your ears. You want meat? You don't like what my provision? Yeah. Look, yeah. I know what's better for you, right? Uh, at the same time, the good that, Harry, you mentioned is so much in terms of, I, I'm definitely seeing a kind of like a renewal in terms of our online presence. Yes. There are more churches, uh, you know, online churches happening, services happening. There are a lot of people that I know of who are not believers are wanting to actually know and liking some of the posts. Usually they wouldn't otherwise, you know. That's good. I know. I, uh, one of my friends said that uh, during this, uh, it was actually last week, but it seems like it was so long ago, when, when most churches d- did online for the first time. And uh, m- my friend, my cohort, actually, um, uh, mentioned how this is great, uh, a great opportunity to invite uh, folks who have not been to church and maybe try church this way. And so that was a positive thing. But but again, during the break, uh, fellows, right? We were thinking, we we need to struggle with these kinds of issues. Yes, there's that technology. We thank the Lord for that that we have that option. But at, also at the same time, and this is the whole idea of doubleness, as Mark Knoll would call it. There's also that that tension um, that hey, we're not physically meeting together. This is mm-hmm. not normal, and so we we need to have that tension. Maybe this is a wake up call, mm-hmm. like you were saying, yeah. Okay, I, I know we're, uh, caller, just hang in there. I know we're going to be uh, coming on to a station break pretty soon, so you, you will have to uh, hang on there. Um, but in, any final thoughts before we move to our to the well, second I, part of I think, our show? I think people are realizing now how technology does leave a little bit of a void. It's pretty tough, for, you, know, uh, you know, when you walk into church, you may see somebody across the way, and you notice that their countenance is down. And you would ask them, how are you? Hmm. Oh, I'm fine. You know, and they, nah, there's something wrong. Online, you miss that. But when you're live, it allows you to minister to that other individual. And I think people are starting to recognize that that's part of the vacuum of, yeah. you know, technology can't supplant face-to-face relationships. They just don't match up. All right, I hear the music, so that means we're up on a station break, and uh, we will have that break, and we will catch you on the other side. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about Him. And these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. 
It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show. Well, welcome back to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Um, Lenny and Jacob and I have been trying to answer the question, how should a Christian behave during a pandemic? So we have Elaine, who has been patiently on hold. We're going to bring it, bring her in. She is calling from L.A. So uh, let me see if I can do this. All right, Elaine, you are live. Do you have a question or comment for us? I have a comment. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Okay, I have a comment. Um, I believe that as Christians, we should go back and look at some of the the rules that's given to us to find help in circumstances as we're, or in any circumstances. And I like to start with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where he says, you know, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. And I think this is the time where we really need help and we need guidance for him because the Lord knows how to heal this and how to take care of the minds of those who are worried. And the other thing is, he says in uh, Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 2, uh, where he talks about uh, the, that the Word of God is living, and that is something is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And then he talks about, he contrasts the mind and the body with us first, and I think that 
that's something, those are things that we should look at and pray the scripture and ask God to help us with our understanding. And last of all, I think that um, in this time, in social media is fine, but he says renew, renew your mind daily. And that is going to the throne of grace, asking God to help us with our thoughts and with our understanding. That's my comment. I enjoy your show. Oh, thanks, Elaine. And thanks for sharing. Those are really relevant verses for us uh, tonight to consider. Yes. So uh, thanks for your call, Elaine. We want to, hey, anyone want to comment on that? I mean, uh, to me, the first thing uh, that I employ in dealing with all of this is really prayer. That's the first thing we need to do. I mean, we go to God, and that's the first thing we need to do. Uh, thanks, Elaine, for sharing. Yeah, and I think I think she's right in that, again, we place so much trust in diagnoses and science and, and testing. Such, <laughs> testing. But the ancients understood that it is ultimately God who orders our steps. God can send the rain. God can send up plague. Again, Luther says, God may send it to punish us for our our arrogance mm. for for yo you think you've got all this well let's see how it works but yeah. he also may send it to us just to test us right just uh, and he pointed to job of course you know job yeah. did nothing wrong yeah but job suffered from an illness yeah. from a malady and then job continues to not sin and it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> I know I know yeah I think uh, we we have to as Christians keep this in mind that's given what we are facing now i mean it's not a big disastrous mess no that's not how we have to see this i mean that's right I, it might sound harsh but it, it is out of love we we can say this for sure that this is god's historical judgment yeah you know yeah. sometimes as god gives us to what we desire to have right yeah. romans 128 yeah. states clearly when people turn to false worship they are handed over to a depraved mind and degenerated behavior that's you right. Know, yeah. And our behaviors do have consequences. But at the same t- time, this judgment is not to destroy us, but to remind us that God is still pursuing us. We That he desires us to get to know him and to be in relationship with him so that we can have a life that that is beyond the death that we all will be facing. Yeah. And that our hope will be on that which is uh, eternal, not just temporary. Right. And uh, I like the, I mean, one, one good effect of this, and I mean, even to me, right, it uh, lets us inspect our own mortality. Hmm. We're not going to live forever, and maybe it uh, causes us to reflect on our lives. Uh, it causes us to reflect on the goodness of God and uh, maybe uh, inspect our priorities, those kinds of things. So in some ways... Um, there are positive things. In fact, uh, Lenny, you shared something a while ago that, that I'd like for you to share about the, the story about the Ebola guy. Who oh, got, who, yeah, who Kent got Brantley. In, yeah, you Kent, would think it's the end of the world for this guy, right? But uh, That's right. So Kent Brantley was a, was a medical missionary, and the Ebola outbreak had, was, this, I believe, it was 2014. It was raging through many of the African nations, and he went there in order to help serve those people, help heal them, and... Uh, was you know some people were deriding him why would you walk into this quagmire my gosh you're you know it's a very 
it, it was high, it was more communicable than COVID nineteen. So yeah. it, it, it was a, and more a, deadly again and more deadly yeah. as well. Absolutely. So they and even prominent conservative columnists like Ann Coulter said, "What what is he doing?" Right, because he went there and he served these people and he alleviated some of their suffering and he contracted the disease. And the missionary team, the missionary organization that sponsors him, had to go and extract him, bring him back to a Dallas hospital. And it was a fairly costly operation for them to do so. And she said, look, the, the missionary organization spent far more now pulling him out of there than they, you know, funds that could have been used so much better. It reminded me, I just heard in Judas in the back, you know, couldn't this oh, yeah. perfume <laughs> have been sold and the funds gone to feed the poor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you would think that, oh, this is insane. Well, obviously, like I said, this is what Christians have always done. So this is nothing new. His heart was to help others. It wasn't for self If it was for self-aggrandizement, they'd have a point. It yeah. wasn't that. But here's the interesting thing. When they started treating him, they got plasma from one of his patients that he had healed. And they used that plasma to, in his treatment. Plus, they tried some new experimental drugs. And the combination of the two allowed him to recover from Ebola. Then... A couple of people in the U.S. came down with the disease. And because Kent Brantley was here and because he had he'd been healed from Ebola, they were able to use his plasma then to heal others in the U.S. So if he had never gone there to begin with, the cure for these other people would have never materialized, Te- theoretically. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wrote an article that said God outsmarts Ann Coulter in mm. this because this is how we're sometimes in the middle of the story. Right, the the problem of evil. We talked about the idea that this is an idea that you can talk about the problem of evil. And I tell people, here's the here's the st- when you start asking things like, isn't there too much gratuitous evil in the world? I say it's like it's like you're in you're at the beginning of the Avengers Endgame. Can you remember that movie? Yeah. When yeah. everybody, it's five years after the 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 big apocalypse where every five, half the population was wiped out, and everybody's, oh, I can't believe this happened. It's the worst fate ever. But if you remember before, there was, right, Dr. Strange said there's 16 million and four <laughs> different combinations, right. only one works. Yeah, yeah. They were in the one that works. <laughs> right. Everything else would have been worse. In our situation right now, we think that it's the terrible thing, but, so, yeah. but we're in the middle of the story, yeah. right? Kent Brantley hasn't recovered yet and able to hmm. offer his recovery to others. We don't know if the sufferings of this present age are not to be compared to what's to come. Right, right. We know that ultimately that's true, but we don't know what's going to happen physically or in our in this world environment. And what I say is we can take it, we can go one of two ways. This could either be the biggest blessing that happens to our culture to shock us out of our materialistic, egoistic malaise, or... It could be the beginning of the biggest curse because hmm. we don't learn the lessons. That's right. And, and like I was saying to you guys a while ago, and I think you guys agree with me, uh, after this, we are not going to be the same. No. Hmm. It's, we're just not going to be the same. I can imagine all sorts of things that could change. Uh, and like you said, it could be really good or it could be really bad. And I think it's high time for Christian leaders, for, for just followers of Jesus— to be faithful during this time. 
So, hey, Jacob, we were talking about this. What are some of the things that you uh, foresee or some of the things you might want to uh, have us deeply consider during this time in preparation for when we hope that God pulls us through this? Yeah. And I'm hopeful, uh, I think you guys too, that uh, that there's a lot of hopeful possibility. Hmm. Uh, what, what are some of those things uh, that you've thought about, Jacob? Yeah. First thing I want to highlight is that in the secular world, right, people who are not Christians are already trying to divide history into BC and AC before Corona and after Corona. <laughs> okay, right? that's, that's, that's already happening, and um, I think, but that's motivated uh, with not a positive outlook in terms of there could be a transcendent reality that could touch our reality and change it into good. You know, uh, so there is a lot of fear. Uh, um, so what I see is that if you see in the Western world since 9-11, if you see the kind of major changes that came about in terms of surveillance, right? And I think that's going to happen more. And we're already seeing this in China and India, other places. People are being monitored. People are, are being uh, – the government is taking more responsibility in terms of knowing where the citizens are and how they behave. Uh, that's something definitely awaits us. And as Christians, we need to be vigilant in terms of um, uh, how we behave publicly, and that's going to happen for sure. But at the same time, this is not to um, be done out of fear, no, but this is the reality we'll be facing, but we have to prepare ourselves in terms of knowing how we should be out there in public. I think one thing that's coming out of this, and we did talk about this, would be greater dependence on the state, on the government. Mm. Uh, uh, Lenny, I think you mentioned that church, if, it, if the church ceases to take the responsibility in terms of what we are called to be in, in, in our culture, in our nation, and beyond, uh, then we would play someone else to do that. And I think that's, right. that's something, in, in a sense, awaits us, can happen. People are depending on government to provide um, you know, uh, healthcare and benefit and things like that, rather than also looking at the community in which we live, uh, the, the church that we belong to and the responsibility that we have to uh, fulfill. The other thing that I'm seeing is that we have already been seeing this trend, but it's happening now in a major way, is uh, deglobalization. Mm -hmm. That's happening. Now, uh, is it for good or for bad? We need to think about this in light of this, that church will never cease to be not universal. Right? It is going to remain universal. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Though there might be deglobalization, church will be universal. At the same time, something good that can come out of this, is, which I personally believe is, which is a biblical idea of nationhood, of national sovereignty that people would have to appreciate uh, in the sense that there is something... Uh, in terms of be, belonging in, in a group, at the same time being responsible to take care of people yeah. uh, outside of the community that belong, you belong to. Uh, one thing that we have to, in light of what we are facing now, keep uh, ourselves away from would be that I would also focus, which is something we are seeing in social media already happening in terms of racial distance, right? Um, uh, distancing. Uh, we can't do that. We don't have any mandate to do that. Right, and at the same time, uh, we can't lose human contact. We can't isolate ourselves. We have seen more damage when the church isolates itself, uh, when it is faced by circumstances like this. We should be right in the forefront, to the point that we are willing to actually lay down our life uh, for our brothers and sisters, because there is no greater love than that. 
Um, there are two things that I would say uh, church can proactively be involved uh, in light of uh, coronavirus, for example. There are a lot of people, I, I was talking to a psychologist today, and um, I want to learn how people are reacting and I was asking, are people reaching out to you? Are there more depression cases that you're seeing? People concerned about future and things like that. Uh, and this friend of mine, uh, she said that, no, that's not the case. I mean, she's, in a sense, hopeful at the same time, not knowing what awaits. Hmm. Um, why she's saying that is because there are people now with their family, with their community, they're seeing so much of good. Uh, so it may turn out to be something good. And I think church need to be prepared for it. If it goes to the worst, and if there are people who need psychological help and counseling and you know, facing uh, uncertainties, church needs to be in the forefront and provide all the help possible. And the other thing is that, that we, ha- we are seeing, particularly in the case of Italy, that doctors and medical professionals have to make decisions in terms of deciding you know, yeah. if you have limited means, who to provide these services. Um, uh, it's more like that trolley situation that you were talking about. You save five lives or you save two lives, right? Uh, choice needs to be made. Um, so if it happens again in future that if our medical profession professionals have to make a decision like that, I think what church can do is uh, not that we have to accept this fact, not at all. We shouldn't be in that position again. But in case if that happens, which I think might happen, the church must prepare its people to have a right kind of attitude in terms of end-of-life issues. Yeah. How is it that we can prepare our congregants to face death boldly, right, in light of uh, whatever faces them? And I think that is necessary and needed, and the world must see that we behave in a different way when we are faced with death, right? Uh, yeah. So these are some of the things I would h- highlight, but... Yeah, I'm sure there must be more other things, you know. Well, I, I was just looking at this uh, article, Politico. I get, I get, that's a left-leaning liberal um, publication, I think. Yeah. But it's interesting. Uh, it's worth reading. But they gathered 34 experts and, um, and, and asked them what their views are on what the world will be like after coronavirus is over. Um, and it was interesting. Some of them mentioned some of the things you already mentioned here, but uh, there'll there'll be, according to uh, Mark Lawrence, who uh, Shrad, who is an associate professor of political science, um, said that maybe there'll be a new kind of patriotism. Um, so h- how that'll take form, who knows? But like you were saying, maybe uh, there, there's a, a, maybe an inward focus uh, of nationalism. Uh, so, like you were saying, how borders will matter now, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, and uh, again, I mentioned this this guy, which I think everybody actually should read, uh, Francis Fukuyama, uh, historian, Harvard professor, uh, really a, a top scholar in his field, and um, he he thinks that um, uh, that that one way f- for the nation to heal. And to to actually move forward in this polarized um, state we're in is is we uh, develop this national identity. So I know I know identity politics is a big thing, but he, what he's saying is no, our identity must not be limited to the small groups that we find ourselves dividing, you know, mm. but extend that over. A larger, uh, which is not to say that the nation is going to save you. That's right. not the idea. No, that's not what People we're saying. Misinterpret that. Right, right. A dependence exactly. on yeah, you know, being nationalists would yeah. mean 
But, complete negative. Right. But I was just in my hopes and dreams, you know, maybe and praying also that. Um, and also, by the way, this guy, I'm just going to quote him, Peter T. Coleman, professor of psychology at Columbia University. He thinks that there could be a decline in polarization. Hmm. And I see that totally. Again, uh, how is that That's happening? That's true after 9-11, too. Yeah, right? There's that, uh, we, we felt more patriotic yeah. after 9-11. So maybe hopefully after this, if we come out uh, pretty good uh, and economy rebounds and and maybe the curve flattens, maybe we will have, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing people saying, we're going to have a massive celebration. Mm -hmm. That'll be amazing. You know, uh, you know if, biblically, if you see, the, the whole idea of nation came out of the Bible. Yeah. It, it, no other worldview or scriptures offers that category of nationhood. Yeah, there were city-states. Exactly. I mean, I think scripture is not about empire, right? Because right. the idea is that when Israel asked for a king, God was not happy about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because God was the king. But God always, when he called out Abraham, he called him out to, be, to make him a nation, to bless many other nations. And when the call is to actually go and preach the gospel, it is to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. Right. Right, mm -hmm. it doesn't specify as a certain individual or people or you know, it's nations. So there is something about that, and I think uh, there there is good, much good, if we recognize who we are as people and how good that we can do as people towards others. How about this person right here, um, Eric Klinenberg, who is professor of sociology and director of the Institute for Public Knowledge at New York University. Uh, an author of several books, he thinks uh, possibly we could have less individualism. How do you guys imagine that? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, how could uh, the coronavirus and, and, and this crisis help us to become less individualist? First thing, I think, because it highlights the fact that we are, we don't sustain ourselves as individuals. We are so connected. Yeah. Not just that connected with people around us, but globally we are so much connected now. Yeah. That what happens in China affects me now here sitting here in LA. Yeah. yeah. Right? We see uh, that now, right? Exactly. That's that's exacerbated by this uh pandemic for sure. Uh we hear reports of community leaders just helping the elderly in their community. Yeah. You know, like I I'm hearing grocery stores uh, modify their hours to, yeah. to have the elderly uh, fall in line for certain days. You know? And I have to also say that a lot of churches, and not a lot of churches, but there are some churches that I know of, they have been very proactive taking responsibility and taking care of the, the elderly in the community. They're mm -hmm. bringing them groceries. and you know. We even had uh, an interesting experience. One of my sons has a restricted diet. He's mm -hmm. autistic and uh, we were having trouble finding one of the foods that he would eat. My wife just put it out on the next door neighbor app, right? And yeah, says, yeah. Hey, if anybody yeah. sees this, just let me know so I can get some. And we have more boxes now wow. of yeah. this stuff from people, and nobody would take money. It was an amazing thing. Wow. You know, these are neighbors, right? Who you would never talk to otherwise, exactly. and they're and they're coming together. It's interesting after the Holocaust, you know, all, all that the different nationalisms of the different Jewish folks all kind of fell away mm. because they were Jewish first and foremost, and this affect, affected them. So it doesn't matter if you're Ashkenazi or Sephardic or, uh, you know, whatever. You were first and foremost a child of Abraham who had someone who was 
affected by the Holocaust. Yeah. And and that's it's our commonalities in suffering that that join us together. There is never a tighter bond than brothers who who suffer through a war, right? Uh, and, and there's a good example here. Uh, a good friend of mine, Pastor David Newman Jr., he is based in uh, La Mirada, and there are new ministries emerging out of it. His church's name is Neighborhood Life Church, and this is exactly what they're doing. They're reaching out to people in their neighborhood, bringing solidarity among people, yeah. providing them with what they need. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's great. Uh, another interesting thing, too, is... Again, another expert said, hey, we might see regulatory barriers to online tools will fall. Uh, well, because we kind of need that service more now than ever. Or just even, uh, the way I read it, even just r- uh, regulatory things, period, are uh, being pushed to the yeah. wayside because we need things to move faster. Yeah. So maybe red tape is That's true. cut in half and all of those well, things. Well, and, and here's the other thing. Think about this. Uh, Google works off of an algorithm. YouTube works off of an algorithm. If you have 50,000 new churches now streaming Sunday services with the word God in it, <laughs> what happens to the algorithms? I mean, it starts to get bent towards right yeah. the, the those folks who would have otherwise been silent. And so, you know, it just in that aspect, it becomes a game changer. So, yeah, that's great. All right, any any final words? Any could you guys summarize some of the tips out there from some of these uh, saints that have gone before us? Uh, what, what what are some of the, the things that we can uh, hang on to as we uh, go through this pandemic together as brothers and sisters? Well, Luther wrote a whole lot about this. Some of the things he said is, first of all, he goes, you don't, you don't tempt God, right? You don't uh, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple because God promised in Psalm 92 he will bear you up with his angels. So Luther says, use medicine, take potions which can help you, fumigate your house, your yard, your street, shun persons and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered, and act like a man who wants to help put out the burning city. But he also says that the devil would love to divide you from your neighbor. Hmm. So he, he says, I will say, get away, you devil, with your terrors. Just because you hate it, I'll spite you by going more quickly to help my sick mm. neighbor. <laughs> and that's, and yeah. that's I think, a, a key aspect. So there's both of those. There's, mm. there's, you don't leave the Samaritan guy do- lying in the ditch, and you don't jump off the temple in spite of your reason and your understanding. Yeah, I think uh, this is what I would add to that, Lenny, uh, uh, that as Christians— Each individual and every church need to understand the sphere of influence that God has given them. It might be just the complex in which you live. It might be the school community. It might be your church. It might be beyond. You might be up there uh, in politics, right, making decisions for people. You might be in the council. You might be a council member or you might be a teacher. Understanding those sphere of influence and asking God, how is it that I can be relevant Mm -hmm. and be used by you? So that when we come out of it, we come out of this more shining, yeah. much brighter, that people may see who we serve and what he is able to do. So I think the question for us is, what's my area of influence? How is it that I can be light in that situation? How is it I can be more proactive and step out and help more people as possible? 
In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. There you go. Uh, For me, prayer is number one. I think that's the first thing we need to do, spend more time. Uh, I think I've shared this with some of you guys, but um, when I talked, when I interviewed Peter Kreft, uh, Boston College professor, esteemed uh, professor of philosophy who uh, happens to be a Christian, I remember I asked him, uh, why is the world kind of falling apart, like morally? Why is it in decline? Why is the West in decline? And without skipping a beat, I mean, I'm not sure I even finished my question, and I was trying to be all polished and how I ask it, you know, trying to impress him a little bit. But before I, I could even finish the question, he just said one word, prayer. He just, prayer. And, and so, you know, I stopped, and, and, and I'm like listening and trying to, you know, I'm thinking, all right, he's going to say something really profound. No, he just, just said pray. So I go, would you care, Dr. Kraft, to uh, expound on that? And he just kind of said, well, if, if God is all-powerful, sovereign, and we're not tapping into that power, then we're hopeless. Hmm. So, which is really, you know, amazing. It's a gr- great reminder. And so I, so, so I said, Dr. Kraft, so you're saying the... The implication of what you just said, then, is the reason why we're in decline is because not enough Christians are praying. Yep, right, just like that. So perhaps, um, again, you know, I hear the music, and we are nearly done here. So you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I want to thank my special guests, my best friends here, uh, Jacob Daniel, Lenny, Lenny Esposito, uh, our valiant, intrepid engineer back there. Uh, for making this possible. And uh, we're hoping that you've learned something of value, especially in answering the question, how should Christians behave during this pandemic? Uh, we will continue this discussion with, um, with my friends next week. Have a good night. <laughs>